This is Richie Wexler. Welcome to Vintage Annals Archive Outsider Podcast with a very special guest, Perry Shell. Perry Shell describes himself as some schmuck with too many t-shirts on his Instagram, which just kind of shows you how humble of a person he is. Uh, Perry is an amazing artist, musician. Uh, he's got this amazing t-shirt collection. He's, he's really, ter- Perry's one of my favorite, favorite people. He's born and raised in Northeast Philadelphia like myself. He's an illustrator, designer, art director at Easy Sound, where he has designed record covers and t-shirts for the Black Keys, Green Day, Kurt Vile, Yola, Robert Finley, Dan Auerbeck, Marcus Hing, Shannon and the Clams, Ted Leo, and more. He's also the host of Tea, Tea Time. It's a show about t-shirt collecting, and has had some really amazing guests, such as Mark Marin, Bobcat Goldthwait, Bill Mosley, and Gilbert Godfrey, just to name a few. He's in a band called. He's been in a band called Hound for many years, and he has a solo band called Wildflowers of America. Um, and again, he has one of the greatest collections of T-shirts in the country. I've known Perry for over twelve years. Both Jews from the same neighborhood. We talk about growing up there. Uh, we get into the oranges of collecting in his T-shirt collection. Uh, him finding his first T-shirt stash. We talk a little about Paul Williams, our bar mitzvahs, and even get into a little bit of anti-Semitism. I mean, not not to anybody we're both Jews but just about kind of you know what it was like growing up having dealing with some of that stuff which seems like an important uh, topic to speak about these days in America anyway so thank you enjoy um, our, our sponsor is Risk Podcast also um, Kevin Allison of Risk Podcast his coaching services please check them out we have links in the body of this podcast <music> So the other thing I'm going to say to you before we start is like you, it's funny. I think about you and Brian a lot, Box Brown, because I feel like you were the two guys like that. I was like, those guys made it, you know? And I, I was very inspired. I don't know what was going on with me. Like I, I, we're different. We're in different worlds. You're, a, you know, a much, you're just a very skilled artist as a person. And, you know, we're, I don't know. I can't really compete in the same level, but I've wanted to kind of figure out my own way to do this. And I think because of you and Brian, like that really inspired me to be like, and it wasn't so much like, well, these guys can do it. It was just more like, oh, those guys are cool and they're hardworking. I could probably be like that. First of all, I appreciate that you think of me and Brian as anything, you know, at all, uh, especially being friends, you know, just being friends. But, um, you know, I think that, like, we made it in the, in the sense that we're able to live off of what we do, you know, is I to quote somebody else uh, more well-known than me, uh, it, it, or is it, is, is it a living? What is it? Do they owe us a living? Maybe that's a different quote I'm thinking of. But, you know, I, I don't know. Is it a living? I guess, you know, I'm living off of it, but is it comfortable? I don't know, but I'm okay with the discomfort because I get to have this privilege and opportunity to make art for a living and happen to get paid for it. Will it last forever? I, I don't know. I don't really think about it like that. I try not to. I, I don't really care. I think I'll adapt no matter what happens and changes. I'm, I'm pretty re- resilient with that. Um, so right now, 
we we it maybe it feels like we made it and I'm I'm I'll take it. I think when I say making it, I mean you're having a life that you've chosen. You're having it like you run your life. Like I'm not, you know, I'm sure there's some things you do that might not be, you know, they might be projects that maybe are 70% your interest, but like to have your own life in this country and to live and to like do work for yourself and do your own shit. To me, that's like a bigger win than any money. Like I, I would, you know, you might, I don't know if you did shitty work and made a lot of money, I might not say you made it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Some people will say to me like, Oh, you're famous now. And I always go like, famous people are rich. Where's the money at? I don't feel famous. I don't want to feel famous, of course, but, and I don't need, I don't want that famous money or whatever, really. Would it help? Yes. I'll be thankful for it. But, you know, I, it's weird to think about people's levels of what they see as success or fame or whatever, and what you feel about your own self, obviously, you know, like I could, I could meet Paul McCartney and he could ask me to do his album art. Sure. I feel like I kind of made it, but then like, you know, I'm sure in a week or two, I'd be like, you know, I'm on to the next thing and I'm, and I'm back on, you know, being hard on myself again or something. Cause I'm still like, this will hold me over for a little bit, but what am I going to do when I, you know, it's constant searching. I I guess I look at it like, I mean, I've worked for other people for 30 fucking years and I'm done. Like I, I am never, I don't care. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't, I am never working for anybody else again. I'm done. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I'm not saying I won't take it like work with somebody as a partner. I won't work for anybody unless there's someone who's good and like, it makes sense. But like, to me, that's more collaborating than really working for a person. Totally. It's killed my spirit so much. Who are those people for you that you met that you're, they were your heroes and then they're like, oh, Perry, you're cool. Like, come on in. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking about it now. And like, because social media allows you to have this connection to, to a point with certain people of notoriety or just people that you admire in any way. Um, and sometimes they respond, you know, Similarly enough, I think Paul Williams is one of the first people who just like, you know, a famous person that acknowledged my existence on the internet or something. And it's just because I, I, you know, when I was a little kid, I saw Phantom of the Paradise and the whole thing ca- ca- captivated me so much. But I was obsessed with Paul Williams immediately. I was just so sucked in. What is this guy's deal? How is he so he's so charming? He's so, um, what do you call it? He just, he, he glows. He has this uh, charisma, I guess, that you just are intrigued by. And he was on, he was everywhere when he was younger on, on all the TV shows. He, you know, he, he was in movies. He was like everywhere from what I understand, what I could tell. He doesn't have to act as great, as, as kind as he does. Which is why I love again the connection between all of us. It's so easy to be nice and see what happens sometimes when you spread that around. And so he was one of the first people that made me feel like, wow, this guy's responding to me. Uh, I don't sound like a crazy maniac fan or something. And I kind of realized seeing some of those interactions and thinking they were really nice. I think actually having you talk to him was what made me try. He reached out to me a few times. Yeah. And he just seems like, 
a super generous guy. As far as people have gotten to interview, um, you know, because it's so specific where I interview people about t-shirts and of course it goes deeper into their lives and stuff, but it's it, it all begins with, and the intention is uh, to talk about collections or things that they've held on to uh, t-shirt wise. And so I got to meet all these people. I, um, I, I got to interview Bobcat Goldthwait on um, Instagram Live. Uh, the first time I got to meet him was um, our mutual friend um, said, hey, do you have any of this old stuff? He had all these old shirts and stuff. Nice. And as a kid, you know, like Gilbert Gottfried, who, who I also got to meet and interview and become friends with, you know, um, bef before the pandemic and everything, uh, these people who just made me feel like I was doing the right thing with my life. They made me feel like they went through a, a, a similar path that I am taking. And I've always kind of followed their lead since I was a kid. You know, like Gilbert was always, and Bobcat, obviously both of them were always outsiders. They had these crazy voices that they they portrayed these wacky characters who seemed like they were not afraid of anything even though you know these guys like most comedians i'm sure use it as a mechanism to you know uh, put up a wall or something like this but but the fact is that you don't build the greatest characters of their time period out of just that you know there is so much talent pushing that and and I just always admired them. I thought they stood out since the beginning. They never submitted to, uh, they never sacrificed their creativeness. I'm sure they played roles they didn't love in movies they didn't love. But at the end of the day, it, it all feels like parts of their story and that they are ultimately, you know, n not regret, it's seeming, seemingly not regretful of that. And I think that's important too. Like, you have these po other podcasts I saw you putting up where you're kind of telling these stories and you're being honest um, about your life. But, you know, you, you, you're kind of like, I'm not the most proud of this moment, but look, there's worse things that people have done. And it's ultimately, we know it's probably not the worst thing ever, but uh, we're also saying, look, I'm not this person maybe anymore, or even if I was part of this person, it's still not a bad person. And I think that like those, these people that um, we we get to interact with and all this stuff, some of them have had a troubled past, but also why we bring them, why it brings us all together too, right? Yeah, I, I, I had somebody tell me once like, uh, oh, how come on your, and, and, and this isn't a diss to this person who you wouldn't know, you don't even know where you live. The internet, an internet friend, I guess. And he was like, oh, you know, on your Instagram, like, it's kind of hard to distinct w which things are your things that you're like collections or things that you, um, like your art that you make. And, and like, why don't you have a separate page? And I said, well, all of this is intertwined. Like, I, none of it can exist without each other. It's all part of me and just an equal amount of importance. So like, I need to portray a full thing. And if you, if my art is hard to distinct from all the other things that I collect, then I'm doing something right. Because it means like, it, it looks like it all belongs, you know, from a 
from a time period or from whatever, because all the stuff I collect is old and like, uh, that's good, right? I'm sure you pick up some shirt and it makes you go, oh, this is a great design. I'm going to look at this thing and then I'm going to, oh, that would be good for this project. Like when you're in those worlds, the, the connections are the things that start to get you excited. And you might listen to, you might have just put on like, I don't know, some album and that might have inspired something. And like when you separate everything and you don't, and you know, you, I mean, I think it's a life of an artist. So just take it all in and just see what happens. Because if you're, if you're not, you know, I, when I was teaching, I would feel like if I'm not learning, I'm going to be, I'm going to suck as a teacher. But let me mm -hmm. get to you. So I'm going to just going to shift. Though. So sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're both going to be on tangents. Yeah, no, no. This whole thing is tangents. Reel, reel me in as much as possible. Same with me. Same with me. Because yeah, I, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I've learned how to talk over the last fucking six months, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I, trust me, I did too. Um, yeah, so what yeah. I'm going to say to you is, again, it, it's a comment on what we just talked about is that, like, when you're like, oh, I've collected, I forgot you collected. I'm like, oh, that's the re the main reason I wanted him on the show when I, before I thought about it, because oh, okay. I know you, because I know you in so many different worlds. As much as as a musician, as as an album designer, I, I'm like, oh, I forgot. Like, oh, great, we can talk about the shirts. And I just forgot about it. Yeah, you know? yeah, that, yeah. It's funny, like, you well, know, we will get me, it. We will get into that. But I, I was, I was. That's kind of you know. That's that's I think the point of how I see you as a person. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, um, it's such an important part of my life and has made me who I am. And it's weird to think about it not being the norm that people just collect things, and and most people know me because I collect T-shirts, but. I and, and I just for years assumed that this, but um, people don't realize that I collect every, like so many other things and I have been since I was a little kid. And I don't know, there's a lot of people who started getting into vintage t-shirts and all this stuff and collecting. I, I don't understand uh, the, the idea of a one thing collection so much. I do, but like, it's more about control, but if you get interested in t-shirts and then you find out, oh, this t-shirt is from a movie and then you end up with the movie poster and the next thing you know, you have 50 movie posters. Do you collect movie posters? Uh, maybe. If you don't consciously do it, but you end up with them, you still kind of collect them, you know? I had really wanted to do a very specific book about Jewish entertainers in the 80s and 70s in Philadelphia. Because oh I wanted to interview Eddie Davis, who I did interview, who you would love. Eddie Davis played my bar mitzvah in 1983. Right. We talked about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, then, and, and, uh, and I wanted to interview my Aunt Faye. Uh, I realize I'm a lot like my Aunt Faye. I love to, to praise people. Aunt Faye would walk in a room, pinch her teeth, and tell you how much she loved it. She wasn't really my aunt, apparently. Um, uh -huh. she played a, but she played accordion for years. Um, you know, and I just, I was, I loved her because she, she was my, my aunt's mother, but okay. not, but not my grandmother. Right, right, right. And I don't know, like something about her and I, all I knew is she was the one adult that made me feel like I mattered. Those adults go a long Kid, no, every other adult was ignoring me. So, yeah. you know, so I wanted to tell her story. And then my friend Jen's mother also plays a Corey, I think because of my aunt Faye. And, and, you know, when I looked at that, I was like, it's cool, but it just didn't seem like it seemed narrow. And what's, what's interesting about the podcast is then there's been two guests is that I, you know, I want, I, and I also feel like being Jewish in this country has been hard for the last five or six years. 
And I've wanted to kind of claim my Judaism because I'm just like, I'm sick and tired of all this fucking shit that, why are we, why are we still being blamed for shit, dude? Like, come on, you know, like, I, this is, I, it's, it's over. I, I'm with, I, I fell in I, the same exact, I swear to you, the same thing happened to me. And I, when I was listening to uh, other episodes of the podcast and you were expressing your level of cultural Judaism and, uh, you know, I was like, oh, weird. Same. Yep. Same, 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 you know, and it was exactly what I've been going through where I've never felt more Jewish in my entire life in a way that I've, I felt thankful and proud and happy to be, you know, just because the way, um, you know, it was presented, there's a lot of things just as a kid, you, you only understand it the way that it's been given to you. And, you know, you go to Hebrew school, it has the word school in it. Why would I like that? You know, there were just so many parts of it that were not clicking with me until I, as an adult, I guess, was able to understand I could make of it whatever I want, really. And then all of a sudden it became even stronger than it ever was because of that. And I feel more connected with it. And also my mom's uncle played accordion in Philadelphia in bands. He passed, he passed away. I have, honestly, I technically have like three of his accordions um, and really the one that he played all the time. Tell me a story. Tell me a story about Eddie Silk what he meant to you and he's so so yeah i mean so it was my mom's uncle my grandmother's brother and as a, as a kid it was uncle eddie you know and he loved music he loved to perform uh if you came over he'd probably play piano or accordion or if he was somewhere there was a piano he would go play he would he had the best smile you could possibly imagine and like as an elderly person he just was like the cutest you know he 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 made you feel like you could feel that glow that I was talking about with Paul Williams you could feel that love like just emanating off of him he just wanted to make people happy so the story I have from his wife my aunt Marsha um who is still with us uh, Uncle Eddie has passed away but Aunt Marsha is still with us and she told me the story that um they were on a cruise you know some point when they were married they were on a cruise when they were younger i guess and the band on the cruise was count basie's you know count basie and his orchestra and um uncle eddie being the, the musician that he was and the friendly person that he was and stuff he had the guts to go up to them and ask can i sit in i play piano you know can i sit in with you guys and they let him sit in right and so apparently uh, two things come of this besides that he played with them, which is mind blowing. Um, apparently in Downbeat Magazine, after this happened, they wrote like a little blurb about like how, I guess funny or crazy it was that some guy had the guts to come and ask to sit in. I have to find the article still. I got to ask Aunt Marsha what year it would have been. So, so he sits in, he plays with them. Downbeat writes a little thing about it. Years later, they go to uh, Northeast Philly Staple Casino Deli. <laughs> staple, I don't know if it's a staple, but we used to- It's a staple. It's a, I mean, I, Jax is more staple to me because I live closer same, to Jax. Same, 
Dude, it's, it's we were just, Zach's family. It's just the same as this, or and even like um Fishers. Yeah, we we did Jack's Country Club, Tiffany's. Uh, so so, but um, at Casino Deli, you know, we would go there for Passover. We'd rent out the room and and like all of our extended family from the area. So anyway, he would go there because they would do like a jazz night, like a big band kind of jazz thing. And one of the guys, I believe this was the, the story of getting it right. If it was there, they would go there either way. So I think it was there. One of the guys that was playing was from Count Basie's band back when they were on the cruise. So they, my aunt and uncle just decide like, let's just see, you know, if he remembers for some reason, they go up to him, they go, you know, hey, this year we were on this cruise and you guys played and blah, blah, blah. You know, you probably don't remember. And he goes, wait a second. And he says to my aunt Marsha, he goes, you know what? I do remember because your last name was used to be Livshitz, right? And she was like, yeah. And they were like, we never heard that name before. We thought it was like, it's, you know, it like, made, I guess it made them laugh probably because, you know, and and so. It's not a great name. If you, if, you, if you think of visually what it means, it's not a great name. Right. So, <laughs> so like he remembered because of this extremely Jewish name, these two people from Philadelphia from years before uh, got to play with Count, he got to play with Count B. I mean, the story is just so. I love that. Entertaining to me that I almost never knew that story. You know, it almost never came up. I want you to paint a picture. I didn't. I don't actually know where what neighborhood you're in, but I want you to paint a picture for our viewers of the neighborhood we grew up in, and you know oh, what it was yeah. like. And I don't actually know where you grew up necessarily. I mean, I know you're yeah, northeast, so, but I don't know where. Well, so we mentioned Jacks. My mom grew up at, at Bell's Corner. You know, a okay. block or two, like two blocks behind Jacks. On front, on front and next street. Um, so I grew up around uh, uh, Grant and Cruise Town. Uh, you know, like Norwalk. If you know where Norwalk and Bustleton. Where'd you go to high? Like where'd you go to high school? What area? What, what... No, we talked. I went to Washington I High School. That. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, this is part of our first time we met. I think we got real into it, which is also why our connection is so specific to the point that we went to the same high school. We were both raised Jewish in a very specific part of Northeast Philly, I think. You know, that general area is where you grew up, where I grew up, is where my family was, you know, uh, home, uh, living, basically, all, all of my relatives and stuff. So where, where we grew up, actually, I've, I will preface this by saying to anybody listening, and you, because I don't know if I told you about this, there's this video on YouTube, and if you search, yes. So if you search YouTube for 1996 Philadelphia, it might even be Northeast Philadelphia specifically, there's this video of this guy, his name is uh, Nick, um, and he uploaded this video where he had in 1996 a video camera. He put it in his car facing out the window and he drives through a couple different parts of Philly, but not for a tour. He's just letting the camera roll and you are seeing 1996 Northeast Philadelphia, where you and I grew up, frozen in video form, where you feel like I'm, I watched the video and I feel like I'm driving down this street. I remember that store being there, I remember it, but it, because it looks the same with different stores in its place, or some of them and different, you know, but it still feels the same. It is the most extreme nostalgic thing I probably have ever experienced. I've watched the video 
uh, so many times and it's over an hour long. How, how much age, what, what's our age difference? Cause I think we, there's a, there's a bit of a 10 year thing in there, right? I'm 1985. You're born 85. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. So we're 15 years apart, which feels weird. Right. Cause I feel like you have a, I don't know. I mean, I don't see you as being younger than me so much, but yeah, really? I think when people have old souls, it's just like, you're, you know, we're both, we're, I feel like we're both part old men. So it's yes. hard to see you as being that much younger than I am essentially. Well, I, I, I think like I'm, I didn't understand or appreciate it until very recently that like, you know, people would be like, you're such an old soul. And I'd be like, oh my God, what a cliche thing to say to somebody who likes old stuff. You know, I didn't understand how deep my brain goes into that realm without trying. And so I jokingly have always said, because I'm Jewish and from Philly, I, I always felt like a crotchety old Jewish man. Since I was a little kid. So I don't think you're an old soul. See an old man inside of you and I have one inside of me. I don't think it's a, I, I, don't, I think it's, it's, it's like, um, it's funny, I used to work in an Orthodox uh, camp. Have you ever seen the Twilight Zone movie? Yeah, <laughs> those two things next to each other. Did you know when you know when that Jewish couple becomes kids? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I kind of remember. Honestly, it's been a while, but yeah, sure, yes. They go from being an old, and they they talk, you know, and 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 when I worked at the, in Jewish community, something about Orthodox. I don't know what it is. If all the kids sound like they're ninety fucking five, hello, uh, you know. And I'm just, they're like eight and they're like, how's it going, Mr. Wexler? And I'm just like, what the fuck? Well, we, we grew up going to Orthodox synagogues because for a long time we didn't belong to a specific synagogue. So you go for the high holidays to a synagogue that you can. Where did you go to? Uh, Nerzetic, I guess, is it called on, on um, it, it, uh, Castor? Um, what is it? My, my great grandfather was a president at this synagogue, obviously before I was born. And my grandparents and my dad and I, we used to go, yeah, Ner Zedek. I think when I was a kid, I didn't know what it's called because we didn't have to refer to it by name. It was, we're going to synagogue and it was the time of year we would go, you know. But um, we we went to there, we would go to services at UPenn where they would be like a woman rabbi, you know. And to me, that was super cool because as a kid, I didn't really, I felt like adults were kind of out of touch or I liked what they liked. And I thought that like, they weren't, I wasn't particularly cool in the way people pretend like I was cool. Like people thought it was cool. People mistook, would mistake weird for cool. And I'd be like, you just think I'm weird. You don't think I'm cool. You think I'm weird. And that's quirky or something to you. But so for me, I always thought that I felt like I I just I grew up watching shows my parents watched because they would re, they were replaying them. My parents would be like, "Oh, the monsters." That's what I watched when I was a kid. I'm thinking, "Oh, I'm a kid. I guess this is what kids watch." I'm not thinking, you know. And I watched shows for kids my age too, but I wasn't thinking that like my friends aren't coming to school. Like, did you watch the monsters last night? <laughs> did you watch I Love Lucy? Like, <laughs> like. I had I had one or two friends, maybe, who was watching I Love Lucy, but you know, these shows <laughs> I watched because my parents wanted to watch them probably and they were like, This is what's on TV right now. This is what we're watching. And I go, Okay, and I loved it, of course, you know, Beverly Hillbillies, all this stuff to me at the time, especially I mean now too, is still holds up. 
What if any? What if any of those shows do you feel like artistically has stayed with you, in some oh way, or God. has influenced you? If you can share that. But then I want to yeah. go. I want us to have. I want to do a Hebrew a Hebrew school story as a trade. Please, but please. We, but answer that question first, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to say now because I become. You know, you revisit stuff as a kid or that you liked as a kid, and so now I watch stuff like that normally. Willingly and and understandably, um, that it's old and I still like it. Whatever. So, I you know back then I really do remember you know watching like um, not so much extremely old, but like I was watching like David Letterman when I was too young to be watching David Letterman. We were watching Get a Life with Chris Elliott, who I got another person I got to meet who was extremely talented and nice and one of the funniest people I think ever. And, um, and you know, these people that I grew up watching and my dad let me watch and wanted to watch were the these weird people, you know? Like, we enjoyed seeing the more, more really more interesting, of course, to you and I, but the, the, the off the, the beaten path, left of the dial, weird stuff. My dad liked it. My mom liked it. And you know, we my parents raised me on Pee Wee's Playhouse, and of course, you know, I could pinpoint more than anything, you know, Sesame Street and Pee Wee's Playhouse, Mr. Rogers, Bob Ross, um, and and like, you know, my my grandparents, the intro to the TV show, Murder, I think it was called, with 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 the the Edward Gorey intro, is it called Mystery or Murder? I think it might be called mystery or murder, one of those two. But but as a kid, my grandparents would only let me watch the intro because it was a cartoon, and then we would turn it off. But as a kid, that stuck with me. So ingrained Edward Gorey's artwork animated. And oh, and I cannot understate the effect Bullwinkle had on me as a kid, too. Because Jay Ward, Jay Ward and his characters that he created. Besides that they went on to become part of everybody's subconscious, just, you know, stereo boxes and commercials and cartoons beyond Bullwinkle. Bullwinkle was was like if if you had a food court that was a cartoon, like you got all these different cartoons in one cartoon and they all offered something different. They were all adult humor and 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 clever and wittier than anything you could possibly imagine. They're like animated Marx Brothers and all the stuff that we love about comedy. And it's the coolest looking animation you've ever seen on top of it. And the most unique, the col- I mean, Bullwinkle to this day, uh, it's like I'm watching it for the first time every time. I- I'm just blown away by it. And somewhere between like six or seven and like, I don't know, 14, was there anything that you feel like, or, or that, that blew a hole in your brain or that you find yourself thinking about or referencing more in terms of your own art or music? I mean, it's hard for you. When I talk to you, it's hard because like you, you know, to me, have as much under, understanding and knowledge and experience in music as you do in art. You know, as you know, I mean, I'm sure when you were a kid, I don't know if you ever went to the, but you know, we used to go to like the planetarium. And I think that's a great example oh, yeah. of like, the world of art converging with music and I, I feel like I know that 
that world is is prime in your in your experience. I think the reason you are an amazing designer for for you know people's albums is because of your knowledge and experience in music. Thank you. Yeah, you know, a big part of of all of it is that I never learned art the way. Okay, let me preface this by saying because you, I, I need to say it to you, and at some point in this interview, and and it would create a lot of context. I didn't know that I had ADHD. I knew I I knew I was OCD, but I had never been diagnosed. I didn't know I was ADHD, OCD. You know, I knew about my anxiety, but for most of my life, I thought that was just being Jewish, and it partially is. But I just thought I would I was that's allergies and IBS, yeah. <laughs> not anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem though, right? Do you have a bad stomach? Do you have a bad stomach or do you just have bad anxiety? Sometimes we have both, right? I think most so, Jews, I, I jokingly break this down to I think a lot of Jews, especially with like intergenerational trauma, I think we were raised to be taught that out of nowhere another Holocaust could just pop up. Just oh well, Holocaust. Rich, it's, it's I don't even I hate to joke that way, but I feel like no. there's this it's not a joke though, it's a real feeling. But it's a joke of this automatically, like all of a sudden, just like world switches into Holocaust. That's the joke. Dude. It, <laughs> I have to joke because I, I can't take, I can't talk about it seriously. Right, because, it's too dark. Uh, you know, it, it, it's so unreal. It's it, it makes sense to hear you say it, but it's crazy to hear it because you can't explain this to somebody who isn't Jewish because it, it seems so extreme that that could happen. But we know, and we feel and we believe whether it's true or not, I do think it's possible, of course. It happened before, period. So we already are on edge our whole lives because we've been made fun of for being Jewish. You know, look, people have it worse than you and me for being Jewish or anything, of course, you know? And we don't need to compare, of course, you know. I always but, say I always say that I, you know, in terms of privileges as a white person, I might get a tea at the table. It doesn't mean I feel like I belong there. Exactly. And that, that is how I have felt my entire life. And it's as cliche it is to be an artist who feels like an outsider, whatever. I don't think of myself as an artist who feels like an outsider. I feel like my somebody who has been born not at the wrong time. I don't feel regretful. I wasn't older or something, but I cannot connect with really, I, I feel like I have trouble connecting with most people in the way that they want to connect with me. I hear you. I find the other ways that I could connect that make more sense to me. So I was talking to my dad about this recently because for years I'd uh, it would come up every once in a while that I don't because I don't I don't believe in God, and um, I'll tell you wh why I, my story from that in a second. But I was talking to my dad about it because every once in a while I would say like, well, you would always say you did, but you didn't really know what it was, what, you know, what it meant for you, whatever. And I always just wanted him to say, I just don't believe in God. It's okay. Like, it's okay. Because, And he said to me when he was a kid, and I never heard this story until a, a month or two ago. Somebody said, you know, here God made Adam and he made Eve and he made the trees and he made this thing. And my dad raised his hand and said, well, who made God? And dude, no shit. I wrote this quote down, who made God? And I put it in quotes with my dad's name after. And I just go, Kids are so smart, it's it's crazy to me. And until you implant in their head what they're supposed to know, they should and are going to ask questions, which is Jewish, the most Jewish thing is to continue your whole life to ask questions. So that takes me to how I realized I didn't believe in God, which is I was at Hebrew school. I would say I was probably 
11, maybe 12. We're in class and they're teaching us, you know, this stories. Uh, I went to Hebrew school a couple different places. I should just tell you as a local person. So we went to a couple different Hebrew schools and the one that I was getting bar mitzvah at, Addis Tikva Montefiore, it was called, which is now like a school school. Where is that one? Um, it's off of Algon. I forget which side, you know, which street it is, but it's like off of Algon. Uh, between Ron and, between Ron and, and, and Bustleton on yeah. Algon. I went to, we went to OCJCC, which was very close to that. But go on. Which which was like the spot. Like if like I had friends who went there and I was like, man, that place sounds like that because of the teens. It was teens, you know, you were a teen, you're like, I'm hanging out. Yeah. So wait, so at Hebrew school and I'm like twelve or so, and the teacher's telling this story, and you know, and then God come God is uh there's a burning bush and a voice comes out of it, and it's God, and God is speaking to Moses, right? And he's from this burning bush and saying whatever is you know talking his shit and the teacher is telling us the story and i'm zoning out you know before i'm diagnosed adhd which was not until 2020 my whole life i I couldn't focus that's why i drew so much and why i loved art so much is because i didn't know what was going on next thing you know i look at my paper and i'm it's covered you know and i'm drawing and it, it led me to a safe space which is my notebook and not not the what else was going around me because I couldn't focus on that. So I'm hearing this teacher talk about stuff and like talking a burning bush and it's talking like what is she thinking like what is she talking about? And I immediately go like sorry I, I'm thinking like I didn't say it but I just thinking like how am I supposed to believe any of this? How am I supposed to believe <laughs> God is real? He's coming down from the sky. You're telling me he's coming out of the sky and he's he's turned into a bush. He could have picked anything. He could have been a, a talking uh, a, a unicorn or a beautiful uh, uh, animal of some sort. Uh, he's a bush that's on fire to get somebody's attention, I guess. I don't know. And so I just thought like, again, like uh, I'm more interested in the stories I learn on the monsters than I am in, <laughs> in telling me these. Re- now I understand that you're supposed to take away things from it. You know, Bibles are, it's the, it's the whisper down the lane, you know, how much of this is, a good story and at some point where did somebody say no this is true <laughs> and so it's whatever you take away from it but for me as a kid i kept it quiet because it was a scary thing to tell people that i just i don't believe in god i'll do all this jewish stuff as long as you need me to I, after my bar mitzvah <laughs> like i gotta be done with it after my bar I'll get mitzvah. circumcised again dad i just don't want to go yeah. to school anymore well like <laughs> like I, I just kind of got it. You get away from it, but yeah. you realize, you, you know, I still went to summer camp, Jewish day camp. Where'd you go to Jewish day camp or summer camp? Oh, I went to the JCC Camp Levitis, uh, you know, um, the Klein branch on like James. Oh, yeah, okay. and Red Lion. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I never went to camp I there, there, but I used to get, I went there for exercise and, you know. Yeah. It, it was the spot. I went there from, from the third summer before third grade all the way until I think 11th grade or, or so. I was a boy, I was a Cub Scout into Boy Scouts again until 11th grade, believe it or not. And I, we would go away for a week every year to Boy Scout camp. That's some cool shit if you get into it. Let me get, let me get, let me go to my Hebrew school stories real quick. Anyway, so three Hebrew school stories. Oh, we used to play Hebrew, we, so OCJCC, we used to play what was we called Torah baseball. 
So I don't know if you know him, a rabbi, Rabbi Rabinowitz. He's a very famous rabbi. Okay. Very tough person. So again, like when you're bar mitzvah, if you know, I don't know if you had to do this or not. We ha- you had to go to fucking Friday night services for like three months before your bar mitzvah. And I, th- and I think sa- some Saturdays. It was boring as fuck. And wow, you- I don't think, I know people who did that, but I forgot about that. I didn't, I don't think I had to do it. If I did, it was only a few of them. It wasn't like for long. We had to go to a bunch. It's also conservative synagogue. So it's all Hebrew. I don't know what's going on. I'm bored. And if, and if you, and he caught you talking, especially if you were a kid, he would single you out to the whole, he would stop the service. Right. So I don't, I don't know how we kept score or what we did, but we would basically Torah baseball was you would just pick up Torah. You would randomly press a thing and everything meant like, you know, if it was a gimel, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, a bunt or, you know, and I don't know how, even we figured out how to keep score because we probably didn't have pens or anything, but that was how you got out of, uh, how you got out of being yelled at by rabbi. Um, and the other thing involved with, it's tied to the Holocaust, the guy who taught the bar mitzvah parts was a Mr. Fialco. He, he was like an, he was short, a little bent over, like a very angry Jewish Yoda, but he, yeah. he was German. And all he would say to you was, he would just say again, like if you know, again, and but he would do it like gutturally, like literally like he's a fucking Holocaust guard, like a German Holocaust guard. And I used to, I joke that I, I'm like, maybe he would, I'm like, I joke as an adult, I'm like, I think he, I think he was a Nazi who escaped and then hit out in the synagogue so he would never get caught. It was like, who's gonna, that's a perfect cover for him, the right? only explanation. <laughs> who's gonna catch me here as a fucking, <laughs> and he was just, he was like scary. It was not good for yeah. me. To, I mean, I learned my part, don't get me wrong, very well, but it was like he played a Well, record. that's why, because he was scary, probably. You were he like, would play, I have to memories because it was in this, this little room and he would just play the record that was like from the fucking Dude, 1940s. I, I have the exact visual, man, that, that is, it's so odd to hear you even just say that so casually because as soon as you said that, I pictured myself in the room with it. We had, a, it was, I, I can remember, it was one of those black cassette tape players that had a hand, like the handle would come out of it. And it was like long with the speaker. And it was like a classroom style almost like, not library audiobook style, but like, uh, man, it was so weird. I could picture it. And we would listen to that tape, rewind it the, with the cantor. That's who did it for us. And uh, he was very intimidating. He would, when he smiled, you felt like the most satisfaction ever. Like, oh, good, he's happy. But he, he was so stern. And the way he belted out the songs and the prayers and stuff was just so intense you felt like these people at this who the rabbis and the cantors at any synagogue that you go to for the most part they always felt like our rabbi wasn't that old but they felt like the elders like like it just felt like your grandparent or something that, that you weren't that close with though or something i i did i started digging into like um i don't know i don't know why how i learned it i think some thrifting i i, I you and i could probably talk about this for hours but like i miss that world because it's gone you can't you probably can. I can. I, I that world is over. I won't try anymore. Like, for, unless I'm like in some fucking uh, somewhere else, like in the middle of nowhere. Otherwise, I'm not looking. But um, I used to, you know, go to like I would go to the main line and buy and find albums, and I found all these uh, cantoral cantorial albums, like Cantors. Oh yeah, I have some. And, yeah. And apparently, there was a point, and one of my favorites is Beryl Beryl Shaggy. Shaggy. He does this high. I, what it is is his voice. He goes from like lower to then he does this like. It sounds like he's a fucking bird 
flying. I'll have to send it to you. And what's cool is apparently there was a time around the 20s where canners were like Elvis and touring all in synagogues. And wow. I just, I'm fascinated by that, like wow. that time frame because it was just like they were rock stars. That is crazy. I got to write this down. I need to like- I'll send you the barrel shaker, but there's a, and there's a documentary that I, I keep forgetting what it is that essentially tells that story, but it was like, I think it's called like when canters were kings. Whoa. And I just feel like that, I don't know what it is, but like something about that idea, it just feels really interesting to me as a Jew. Cause they were just like these, you know, very, I mean, and they were like famous, they were coveted. I mean, they were recording artists. They had like, I mean, right. really, and, it, and it's just a whole different ball game. All right, bar mitzvah, yeah. give me, give me some, bar- I want to, I want to hear, give me like a five minute, tell me about your bar mitzvah. Okay. Uh, God. Okay. Take eight minutes and whatever time you want, you can just go. <laughs> no, it's a, it, I'm going to make a few, I'll just bring up a few things. Uh, so it was 1998 is when I was bar mitzvahed. Uh, I, a lot of this was my parents' idea. At the time you just go, they're paying for this thing. I don't really want the party. I only want the party because all my friends had one. I didn't really care about parties, but anyway, um, and I certainly didn't want to learn all this stuff. So I happened to have one of the like maybe two longest parts, one of the longest portions for a bar mitzvah that you could have. I had like one of those. I had so much to learn from it. And um, so the the theme for my bar mitzvah was the Beatles, which I'm very, I, you know, I'm very thankful that held up. That was a good choice. Yeah. A lot of my friends made some weird choices with their theme of their bar mitzvah. And looking back on it, I'm like, that didn't hold up as well. Nothing crazy, but like, you know, generic stuff, I guess. So, you know, the the sign-in board was the airbrushed Abbey Road with me and walking across the street with the Beatles. And my dog was airbrushed into it. And then the t-shirts, like everybody would give out t-shirts, like people would get like a white shirt with one color ink. And so my parents were like, and maybe because I cared about t-shirts or because we liked art and whatever, my parents wanted to do something different. They actually guessed or asked what size t-shirt everybody wore. Cause most bar mitzvahs, you get an extra large and that's it. And I was never, I was always the smallest kid or second smallest kid in my class, always. So I hated it. And so my parents were like, we're gonna get the right sizes. We're gonna get these made. So they made this early Photoshop Abbey Road, the same thing as the sign-in board, but air uh, photoshopped, mixed with airbrushed of me. So all the shirts are me walking on across Abbey Road. Uh, and I still have some, I'll show you. But anyway, my parents' idea, they say, oh, what if for your entrance to the party, you came out to, um, I'm too sexy. <laughs> like, why? Because it would be funny. What I realize <laughs> now is, my parents are basically like, we created this uh, <laughs> cute little uh, robot that can do whatever we want. And, and it, he entertains us at, in a cute way, but not in a mean way at all. My parents are amazing. I'm, I'm very thankful for them. I've got to say, I want to get into your dad later because I, I, I love how much you love your dad and champion your father. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my parents would come up with stuff like that. And I think I thought, well, if they think it's funny, I'm that's hilarious. That is a good idea. I want to make them laugh and nobody would expect that, I guess. Never thinking I'm 13 years old 
walking out to I'm Too Sexy. So I walk out, we have, the DJ has two dancers, a dancer on each arm. We walk into the entrance thing to I'm Too Sexy. I Apparently I did a, I did a spin and I took off my jacket, I think. And, and so there is a music video for my, my band, uh, Hound, that we edited my bar mitzvah video to the song. Oh my God, that's um, awesome. And you can see footage from my bar mitzvah on YouTube in this music video. So, so speaking about the inappropriateness of, of having a song about a 13 year old being too sexy, what is it, if you can remember, like, did it feel weird to you that like, oh, I'm a man now? What did that feel like to you? I just, I'd just like to know if you, if you can well, think about it. I really just wanted to reap the benefits of, of uh, being done with it and then having a party and then making, you know, it, it was funny to joke about in the moment that I'm like a man, because obviously I knew I wasn't and didn't think I was and thought, how crazy are these people that they think that this is enough to become a man? I'm like, um, I couldn't like do anything on my own. I, even like, I didn't even want to do anything on my own. I was too scared of everything. So the idea of becoming a man was just like, um, okay, so really it's just, we're going to eat a lot of food and uh, party. Um, it has nothing to do with being mature. There was no point at being 13 that I was more mature than I was at age 10. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not just saying this to be like a 2023 hip with it, whatever. I never felt like I wanted to be what we thought a man was, you know, I didn't understand all that. I mean, I had, uh, I, like, I was friends with people who were older than me, some of them who I didn't think were like cool at all. I'm like, I don't want to be older. Older doesn't, you know, at least in that sense, like there wasn't anything exciting to me about the promise of becoming a man all of a sudden. I just, I, I just got along with a lot of people, I guess. And sometimes I think people would mistake getting along with me for we were close friends. And I think I mis would mistake that too for things. Um, and eventually you start to realize like, the friends that you keep are like the guys who have nothing in common with, except for maybe you grew up together and you've learned from the differences between you and you've been able to, my best friend growing up, still one of my closest friends today, since I was five years old, football player on the high school team, tallest guy in every class. Um, his, his parents were both teachers he was really smart, you know, still is really smart and all this stuff. Um, but we lived around the corner from each other and met each other when we were five years old. And so it just never mattered that we were always in different stuff. We always liked hanging out with girls. We always liked hanging out with, you know, people who seemed fun to hang out with, who were interesting. We would be, we would go to the mall just to see, to, to meet random people that we thought seemed cool or weird and uh we'd watch weird movies his family was obsessed with uh do you remember the gene wilder movie uh frisk the frisk oh my Kid? god that fucking that's one of my favorite movies growing up that whoever thought of this amazing to put harrison ford and gene wilder together is a fucking genius incredible i love Nobody that fucking movie that. that's a one part of the movie where it's like where they're gonna like hang him frisco kid is the, is the jewish blazing saddles <laughs> no, that's funny. That's a really funny way to put it. I, um, because it's like the same time frame. 
And it's, it's, I, I got to rewatch it, but I remember thinking like, how come nobody else talks about this movie? Of course, not realizing the, the, the Jewish, you know, it's because a lot of my friends, you know, we grew up with a lot of Jewish people, but you have a lot of, you, you make friends in the neighborhood who go to Catholic school or who are totally different. And some of those people make fun of you. And every once in a while you meet one that you click with in some way. And, um, but also one of those people I clicked with one day, he started to get into like his German heritage and got really sketchy when we were very young. And you forget like, oh yeah, I'm not even safe from being Jewish around my friends. It's weird. Not the same friend that I was talking about before, of course, he's Jewish, but it's it's weird when you grow up surrounded by a bunch of friends and then um, you meet the ones who are different, who you spend many years with, and then all of a sudden you realize why there's no reason that you would be in touch with them anymore, you know? It feels like you'd, I don't know. Uh, Northeast Philly is a really, was, and I, I still will say is, but was at my time growing up especially, like a really special place for me to learn a lot about people and to learn a lot uh, uh, like on both sides of it, how bad people can be and how amazing complete strangers can be just from having some kind of connection. Did you deal with any anti-Semitism going there? Oh yeah. That was part of Washington. No, that was part of Washington. Unfortunately, my dad dealt with it a lot um, when he went there for sure. I dealt with a lot. I was I was friends with people who went to Catholic school and they would invite me to the, go to their school dance with you know our bunch of our friends would go to to the dances at you know maternity BVM or something. Are you comfortable real quick telling a story about that? Are you comfortable sharing that or no? I I think that like in general, you know, it is hard to express unless it happened to you and you could probably say that for a lot of people there are some more obvious signs of racism and anti-semitism and all the isms you know the bad stuff like that yeah um but for judaism you know we we have the privilege of being white and and to the naked eye but i can't tell you how many times as a kid very very um common one that i would get which didn't even register with me as a kid which now feels so fucked up is when people would find out i was jewish and they go whoa i didn't know you were jewish you don't see you don't look jewish at all or you don't seem jewish and i would always go like in my head as a kid i thought it was funny like oh i got one over on them they didn't even know i was jewish of course what i'm i'm being conditioned to feel that uh in some way i'm trying to uh come to terms with why it was okay it wasn't okay really they were just saying like you don't look and act the way that i thought you would based on all the stereotypes and so i mean Countless times as a kid do I get called, you know, a, a, just the word Jew, Jew, Jew boy, I'm, you know. Uh, you ever get kike? Kike, of course. And, and you know, when I was a kid, I will trace it back to this. And this is like the, the story kind of ties in me and my dad and my uncle. I just want to encourage you when you share this to not feel, I don't want you to feel like like, oh, I shouldn't share this because people had it worse. I want you to share, if you're comfortable, share this as it was. I don't want you to feel like I shouldn't be sharing this because other people have it worse. Like, of course, your trauma yeah. is your trauma and this stuff is hard. And if you're as comfortable as you are, I don't want you to feel like, I want you to own this if you're comfortable with it. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, no, I, I, I understand and I appreciate that. Um, the, the thing that I would say, this has gone on through my entire life, very spread apart, but I was a kid and I understood I was being called these names, but it always seemed like, oh, it's in good fun, you know? And you don't really feel like it is, but you go along with it because you adapt, you have to survive and you are going to be around these people. And some of them don't mean it and don't right. know better. Uh, I'm, I would like to say most of them at the time as kids don't know better. Yeah. And if they continued to do it, they knew better and they're just shitty people. But anyway, two things. There were these, this family who lived two blocks away. They weren't Jewish. And me and my other Jewish friends, for some reason, those kids didn't really get along with us that well. They were always a little bit angry, a little bit pushy, a little bit cocky. We didn't know what the deal was. And at some point, I remember as a kid, there was a rumor that might have been true or might still be true that they didn't like Jews. And so one day we decided we had enough. And me and my other Jewish friends from my three block radius went to go probably just wander on their block. We were probably just looking to start a, a fight, really. I don't know why we were doing this. It's something <laughs> I don't know, something triggered it. How old? Oh, God. Uh, it's probably happened a couple times. I could have been eight. I could have been 10. I had a friend who, who lived down the street who was four years older than me. He had two older sisters and, and friends who were older. So I spent a lot of time with him at his house and his older friends and sisters and family. And they were the first people I was around that smoked cigarettes. I never liked cigarettes, but they smoked them in the house, in the car. I was around it all the time and it was normalized. So anyway, these kids were older. And so at some point, maybe I was eight, 10 or so, we went to go look for these kids because we thought we were gonna kick some ass for these anti-Semites, you know? Of course it blows over. They probably said they weren't and we probably believed them and we probably weren't gonna do anything in the first place, who knows? I'm imagining the outsiders happening in my head right now. Totally like like <laughs> if the if the warriors were a bunch of like little nebbish, like little little hunched over <laughs> with dorks. With, with uh with like vests with Talit kind of yeah. leather vests with Talit hanging out from it. And and so so that was one thing, but what the real thing that happened that I will never forget, my I went to school one day and whatever, I come home, I say to my dad, Hey, I heard these kids say this word, and it was the N-word. And I said, you know. It sounds like a really bad word. What does this mean? And he said, look, he said, don't ever say that word. It's a bad word uh, for black people that um, if you ever see hear somebody saying that word, you're not friends with, that's not somebody you're friends with. And he said, if they say something bad about black people, the next thing they're gonna say is something bad about Jewish people and blah, 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 and so on. And, and so this happened and then I was friends, I was, I became really good friends with this girl in my class, say fourth grade, right? And she was um, Muslim and nobody's explained to me what being Muslim is like, but I knew that she was. And we, she would tell me about it sometimes. Again, fourth grade, it's not like deep conversation, but I remember coming home, I said to my dad, like, hey, what is, what does it mean? Like people who are Jewish and people who are Christian or Catholic, but like, I don't know what's it like what is Muslim? What are Muslim people? I'm trying to think of how I would have said it as a kid. I had, I was in fourth grade and he was like, oh, Muslim people are a lot like Jews. And, and I didn't really understand why. And, and, and he kind of just put it so simply, oh, you know, they have a lot of similar um, 
traditions and beliefs and blah, blah, blah. And I just went like, oh, okay. And that was all I need to hear that. And the thing you said before, and, you know, literally all it, all I needed to, to carry me through life was, you know, people who say these things are not good people. If they say things bad about this type of person, that means that they're hateful towards all different types of people. And that's not somebody who you want to be affiliated with, no matter what type of person they're saying bad about, uh, that's just not the the energy that you want to carry through life pretty much. And I never did. Uh, I'm sure, obviously we all have our, our ways we are again, being white person, but it was really what I needed to hear. And just maybe two years ago, I was with my dad and my uncle and we were talking about this stuff. And my uncle unprovoked says, Oh, when I was a kid, my dad or our dad, you know, my dad, my dad was there. He said, when I was a kid, our dad told us this thing. If somebody says a bad thing about a black, and he told me the same thing my dad told me as a kid. And I said, oh, so that's where you, my dad got it from my grandfather. Yeah. And the comfort it made me feel uh, to know that we've all been fighting this fight against this thing that um, we fell victim towards, that other people have fallen victim towards, and that um, nobody is safe from this stupid thing of of hatred and 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 splitting people up and dividing them like that and so it made me feel like if not that i could ex could understand the experience all different types of uh people who are being uh subjected to this like we all have different experiences it's not that it needs to be comparative but the fact is it doesn't need to exist it shouldn't exist at all and being jewish um was just my experience and your experience, of course, growing up in a place that you will notice people will find any reason to belittle you. And a lot of times it is just based on how you were put on this earth. It has nothing to do with you. And and to me, it's why it's such bullshit. And it should be, a, a, nobody should be suffering from this. And as, as a Jew, as a kid, People sure as hell found ways to hold that against you for being some weird negative thing that really, as an adult, I I finally take away as empowering me to continue to, in all the ways of my life, be proud of the things that make me different. And getting starting therapy and being diagnosed certain things and medicated and also, like, I discovered weed for the first, not discovered, but, you know, I, I, I never tried it in my entire, nobody told me it existed. But no, until I was, until, uh, until 2020, I never even took a hit of weed before. And all these things combined really allowed me to sink into my, my true self. And whether I am self-conscious about it or not in certain situations, Aside from that, it, it doesn't matter because in my head, I feel singular for the first time in a way that I'm confident about. And um, I don't think I'm hot shit. I don't think I have the upper hand on anybody. I don't feel, I sure as hell don't feel comfortable or safe, but I feel comfortable knowing what I, who I am, what I like. Well, and the best thing for me that I've learned is that over the past few months, even a few people that I've known for for over a decade at least, if not over two, a couple of people have said to me, 
you know, I got to give it to you. You've always been yourself and you've always liked the stuff that you've liked and you've always liked the same like like air loose general area of things that you like and that i never pretended like i didn't even though i know i i i had to calm it down a little bit in certain ways or hide from it in ways that i don't think i you know i did for protection in some way maybe but as a whole i've never felt so thankful to hear that I've been on this path my whole life. Cause you don't see it. I don't see it like that. I, I'm going to try to find a way to reflect and also comment, but then I want to really get back to, I want to get into your origin story with t-shirts, but give me a few, I need like three yeah. minutes. So what I would yeah, say yeah. is I'm really glad you shared that with me. And I feel like I'm in the same place for the first time and I'm 52, you know, getting a 35 is, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's not better or worse, but, but it's good. You got it now. It's it's only be, be I think it's only because I've been able to confirm that I have been like this for so long because I look around me and I see the stuff that I have and that it's the same stuff I give to my nephew and he's excited to see it too the way I was and and you see that Spark uh, he's six now and seeing him get excited about the same stuff that excited me as a kid it's just reaffirming. It all still holds up the stuff that I attached myself to. Yeah, and, and what I would say is what's impressive of that is it, it confirms that you knew what road you were on and you're still on there, even though that road probably caused people to pick on you here and there or think you're weird or not understand you or have you know parents question you, what are you doing with your time? But like you held on to that core of who you were, almost like you held on to like the, the excited child you were, even though it's got tried to get beat down for fucking 20, 30 years. And you, you know, and you might have like zoned out here and there or, or not pay attention, but you never, you never killed it. And I think a lot of people, I have seen a lot of adults who just, they just, they, they just stop being, they stop being that they stop being passionate. They stop holding on to dreams they got when they were young and they stop, they stop doing that. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like life should be enjoyed and we should share shit we care about and we should do things that make sense to us. And I just think this world was so fucked up that we can't. Um, so congratulations, yeah. I'm really impressed with that. So what I want to get into is real quick, and I think that's a perfect segue to, to t-shirts, but I just want to go into, um, so I think what's tricky about, you know, sen I mean, you and I fall into like sensitive Jewish guys, you know, and, you know, I probably got more into show tunes than you do, but you're, you're the, you're the show tune oh, demographic. But I like them. But I like them. There's a certain demographic that you may not have been, but like that it's, it's, it, it's, it's made for Jewish sensitive kids. Um, and, and what I want to point out is I, I think a lot about being young and I used to think like, oh man, I never stood up for myself. But I think what's confusing, especially as a kid is when I got older, I started to be like, well, I didn't stand up for myself because it didn't make f sense to me that people were being assholes. Yeah. I could not, it still don't really get it. I, I wow. don't, it didn't, it didn't mean, I, I was like, well, I don't even, I don't even think I understood why people were being horrible to me or being mean. Because I, and so like, I don't think I fought for myself because I didn't think it made sense to do that, nor did I get that I was being, you know, as more as a kid. But, and, and there's years that went by where I just like was angry that I didn't like fight back for myself. But when I look back at my life, I was kind of a badass, but like reluctant sometimes. And I'll tell you the story, but what? How would you be now if you took the route of fighting back for yourself though? You, you well, I have a fight. I have a fight story right now. I yeah. did learn, I learned how to fight. I learned, 
I think for me, I, I saw, I learned how to fight, but I also learned, like, I think comedy was the, th- and humor was the way really like that I was able to fight. But, but I want, I want to share a thing that happened in Washington. I, I didn't have a ton of anti-Semitism because most of my friends were Jewish. So, right, you know, right. but I did experience it. There's one kid, Ronald, I'm going to use his name because I don't give a fuck. I think his name is Ronald Farber. Yeah, who knows what he's like now? I mean, I don't mind still mad at him, but whatever. He's not even Farber. It's Jerry Farber. Jerry Feinstein. Well, he was not Jewish. Um, anyway. Yeah, I was going to say. It's like, what? <laughs> so, you know, it, I generally have a rule in my life now that I will make. I will. I don't like to just pounce on people when I'm angry. So it's like I give them the two, the two, the two rule. Do it once. I'll try to shrug it off. Maybe give you a look. Second time, I'm going to have a conversation with you. And, but there's part of me that is also this rage, even at this time is like angry. I was just angry. I, I think I was just angry at the world. Like I, I'm a happy person now, but I think I didn't fit in. My, I, my dad is cool. My grandpa, but like they pushed me into being a sports kid. I wasn't that way. And I just felt like, fuck, I kind of, part of me at like age 11 and 12 was just like, fuck all of you. I, I got not pushed into, but expected to do sports stuff. And I'm thinking my dad, my dad isn't an athlete, but it's what you do with kids. And when you put kids who aren't into sports, really, you know, I liked playing some of them non-competitively, but like when you put somebody like that into the sports, you're going to get picked on by kids who do really like it because you don't care about the thing that they really care about. I posted a story today that I want you to listen to called Gutbusters. It's about me being a sports no, coach. I, I, no, I listened to it. That was what I earlier what i kind of what i was referencing I feel like that that really gets into my core of like sports totally and 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 i i thought that it was a good story because you know <laughs> i get it still like, feels it, like it's a hard story to tell in in 2023 but sure but you were you know you were brave enough to put it out there and that it wasn't as bad as it feels i wanted to make, i wanted to make that into a movie i really feel like that would be a great like i really do feel like i would love to make that into a movie to be honest so this kid, you know, Jew, it calls me Jew boy. Now, right. you know, I didn't like it. And I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to just like, fight, what was I wasn't going to do. I mean, I wasn't really a fighter um, and, you know, whatever. So, and I, but, you know, but I, it got to me like, you know, what the, who's this fucking kid? And then it happened again and I, I, I snapped. I didn't do anything, but I just, in my brain, I was like this motherfucker. You know, I, I mean, again, I, I, I'm a very weird person. I'm very sensitive but I'm like, a, I have a lot of anger from just seeing the being treated ways, seeing other people like, I, again, there's just like, I, I've always wanted to fight for people because it's just, it, anyway. So well, no, it's part of us. It's ingrained in us. It's, I don't I know if it's a Jew it. thing I, I or it's a Libra I think, thing. I think it, I think it's hard to say certain things are Jewish things because other people will say, no, we do that too. And this thing, but there is a version of it that is inherently Jewish that, I do believe is connected to it and I have it too. And it's just, I think from being a type of person who is being pushed around or has to witness other people being pushed around, you get sick of it and you get there were, angry. Yeah. You know? There was part of me. It's weird. I, I go back to being a kid. When I think about being a kid, there was part of me that I remember that I would, if I knew, if I knew somebody was, was a lower, lower than me, I would invite them to my party or I would like right. give them a Valentine's card. There was some part of me that got, even when I was like four or five or six or seven, that like, oh, this kid has no friends. Come on down. In fact, I was going to share with you that I had two girls about bar mitzvah. One was the the kid, no, the, the 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 girl that got bullied the most at Hebrew school was my one of two girls. I didn't talk to girls at that point. The other one was my like 
you know, a cousin or something. But so right. I'm, I'm, you know, we're in gym, Washington High School in that fucking, you know, gym with stinky, whatever. And then I, you know, I, I'm like livid about this thing. And then I just walked to get a drink and I, and I noticed that the guy is at the water fountain bent down. And I don't, I, you know, I don't know what to call this. I would call it part of an out of body experience, but it wasn't totally out of body. But my leg was like, if I could really, I mean, I would love to just be able to make this animation. My leg is, is like, uh, Rich, it's time to do some shit. Dude, come yeah. on, he's getting a thing. My leg's <laughs> like, dude, we're getting him. He's fucking, it's right there. You know, he's not you looking. You saw the target in front of you. The target was oh, But my, I really feel like my leg took over at that point. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, fuck you and fuck him. And my leg by itself kicks him in the point. You know, like, you know what a dead leg is? Yes, yes. I gave him oh. like a turbo fucking dead leg as hard as I could. Wow. And he went down. And because of the Jew stuff, I didn't get in trouble. But that's wow. probably one of two or three times that I would that I've ever hurt someone, and I, even when I've hurt somebody, it's a warning. Wow. I could have punched. I could have taken his head and slammed it against a fucking, you know. I could have broken his teeth. I wasn't trying to hurt him, but I was like right. my. But like my and and I, I still don't. I mean, there's a part of me that when when people push me when I when I'm bullied because I've been bullied my whole fucking life, even at my jobs. I guess I left the job because I was being bullied. I'm 52. All right, t-shirts. Tell me, I want you to do. Let's do 15 minutes. I just want you to tell me as much as you want about t-shirts, you know, the origin story, just what it's meaning. You don't, I don't, I mean, I'm sure you have so many stories, so don't worry about covering all of it. I rather, I rather focus it on two or three stories that you feel like really, really exemplify your relationship with t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start the, the, the first thing I'll say is the quick story, uh, for people listening who don't know, uh, when I was 10 years old, um, I went the, to get to the attic at my house as a kid. My dad cut a hole in my bedroom, in my closet, in the wall, and that led to the attic. And then he 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 built it out where he put down plywood and he put a, a door on the attic with a lock. Like he wanted to make proper storage basically. And the only way to get to it was through my bedroom, just because that was the easiest way to get to it without climbing on a ladder and doing all this stuff. So at a certain point, maybe age 10 is the year, uh, I started to get curious like and bored. You know, I wonder what's in the attic. I'm curious. I'm just going to wander in the attic. And so I start climbing around and I'm going through, you know, finding really my parents' old things, which have always excited me. And again, I'm saying 10 years old, that thing is, that has started before this, you know, but the t-shirt thing. So I'm 10 and I'm going through and I, I find my dad's old bong from the seventies. Now <laughs> I'm 10 years old. I'm 10 years old. My parents are great parents. They uh, didn't do drugs in front of me or, or, you know, drugs, whatever weed in front of me. I don't know that they did it well when I was that age. I don't even know. but. For some reason, I saw it and I knew what it was because I was already interested in like hippie culture and stuff as a 10 year old. And a lot of it was because my dad had his old things from from then because it was only it wasn't that long ago. then. So I start finding his smiley, you know, smiley face patch and um, 
his button collection of all his political buttons and peace signs and um, anti-war and Philadelphia stuff and all that. And then I find this trash bag and I reach my hand in and pull out like a Bruce Springsteen shirt. And I'm going, what is this shirt doing in the attic? Like I'm thinking my dad didn't mean to put this here. And then I start looking and I'm like, oh my God, these are his old t-shirts. And I find a Jim Stakes t-shirt and a Billy Joel uh, 1990 tour shirt and a Harry Chapin autographed t-shirt. And uh, I mean, um, my godfather's business, he sells used car parts and it, he had this shirt that said used auto parts or no, sorry, it said used body parts. And <laughs> as a 10 year old, I think I see my uncle's name on the back, his last name. Uh, I don't need to give it out, but it's part of the title of his business and everything. And I just thought, whoa, this is my uncle, my godfather, you know? This is his business. Why is my dad hiding this from me, you know? And it says, use body parts. I'm like, this is such a cool shirt. <laughs> and my parents weren't strict by any means. Um, they were good parents and they, they, they sheltered me from what I now see as the things that they should have maybe. But they let me, they were very free with what I watched, what I listened to. Um, they were open. They're, they're really, um, I'm very thankful and I could go on about that, but basically I pull out this trash bag out of the attic, little 10 year old kid. I must, I, you know, little, pe little pecker as my dad would have said, you know, <laughs> I was just like a little, a little kid. And, um, I'm like, dad, what are these, what is all this clothing, you know, sweatshirts, jacket, like a, a lot of stuff. And he goes, Oh, those are my old t-shirts. And I said, well, I want them. Can I have them? Whatever. And, you know, you could tell he, I thought my dad's bar mitzvah shoes, by the way, you want to hear, you want to hear the most Jewish thing. He saved his bar mitzvah shoes and his wisdom teeth when he got them pulled. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that is. I don't know why I also equate that with the Jewish thing, but anyway, so, um, right. And that'll be the other story I'll tell you actually. So to tie it together. So basically he's excited that I care about these shirts. He's kind of like, they're still mine. Be careful but you can borrow them, you know? And of course, of course there are some that got lost or that my sister took and she left somewhere, didn't care. We didn't realize at the time how important it would be in the long run. In the long run. Anyway, that was when I was 10, uh, 1995. And fast forward, now I'm about to be 38 in uh, this year. And um, at this point, I probably have close to 3000 t-shirts, vintage t-shirts. So at least 20 years or older. Um, and so when I was 10, I started wearing my dad's t-shirts. It wasn't cool to wear old t-shirts when you were 10. Everybody was supposed to be wearing new stuff. You know, you're supposed to be wearing whatever's cool right now. There's just something in me that believed, no matter what anybody else thought, this is really what is cool. And I can't act like I knew it at the time like I can't act like I was a uh I got made fun of for it you know but I I but I didn't know why I I, I couldn't not wear my dad's my dad's mailman uniform pants from the 80s you know I would wear plaid old man pants my friend tells me her older brother found a pair of Doc Martens at a thrift store for two bucks and I go I came home that day and I said dad I want to go to the thrift store 
and we go to flea markets, we go to Pensac and Mart, you know, these dirt malls, like they had clothes you could buy cheap and used other than thrift stores. And my friend tells me this and I go, dad, I think I want to start going to thrift stores. And he was stoked. And that's really like the age that changed everything for me and why like, for me, middle school was the most important part of my life because I really defined that I want to be this outcast that somehow I, even the weirdos I went to school with weren't on my level of, <laughs> not that it was better or different. I took things away from all those weirdos, but I don't know what it was except for that. Like I, there were times I rebelled against my own self and my, my best judgment and would maybe dress slightly more a certain way, but it was always still my version of it. And I, th I think I thought that everybody wanted to be different. And that's why I dressed this way. I thought we were all supposed to be unique and individuals. I'm, I liked art. I didn't think I was an artist, but I knew that I liked that stuff and that I was watching horror movies from the eighties that I wasn't supposed to be watching and Spike Lee movies that I didn't fully understand. But my dad's favorite director, my dad was obsessed with Spike Lee. And so I watched like, get on the bus. You know, I watched these movies when they came out. I watched Crooklyn probably more than I've seen most movies because, because we had an illegal cable box and we got free pay-per-view. And so I would watch every movie. Real quick, was your dad allowing you to watch movies that felt like you shouldn't have been able to watch them or no? I think if he wanted to watch a movie and I was even a little bit curious and didn't, like, I think he just liked spending time together. We could watch a movie. He knew that they were important probably. But sometimes we just watch class of Nuke, a class of Newcomb High, you know? And sometimes we go to the video store and I'm like, where are all the crazy horror movies that don't make any sense? But I, I was attracted to them, you know? And my dad was open to all that stuff. And, you know, we would watch crazy old horror movies and we would watch American Movie when it came out and, and, and the, our crime documentary, like, because my dad wanted to see these, you know? And so I wanted to just soak up and absorb any movies about anything, you know? Uh, That's very cool. Yeah, I'm very lucky. You know, my dad was the one of, he. it, it was just him and his brother, but he was the one that was the more in touch with, you know, the artist side of himself or something. And so, he wasn't an artist himself. He was a photographer for a bit and he took some cool ass photos. I'll have to show you, but yeah. So anyway, so he really let me, my, both of my parents really catered to my, and maybe it was, isn't this wacky? Our kid wants to wear these crazy old clothes, you know, and we could get, we could go to I Goldberg and army Navy stores and get army jackets and weird stuff. And my parents could find crazy stuff and I'd wear it. And it, it was cool. And we would go to South Street all the time too. That helped. That helped solidify that I was doing the right thing, by the way, because I was surrounded by cool old people, old, you know, older people really, who who looked as weird as I wanted to look. I was just open, I, I guess. I was just open to like trying stuff out and wearing weird clothes and, you know, painting my nails and, and doing stuff that my friends weren't doing because I thought like, I don't know, maybe I saw it in Tank Girl or something. Who knows? Like whatever the thing that that I watched at the time that was inspiring me to keep going because I thought that was cool, I would do it. And so anyway, that started the t-shirt thing, which was also just collecting old stuff. And then when I got a little older, it was very more 
I was way more aware of what I was doing. I, I didn't think about it much as collecting. Real quick, was there a movie in that time frame that is like, you're like, again, my life changed after watching this movie that you can give like a one minute piece on or explanation? It, I hate it, to it, pinpoint it to one. It could be anyone. It doesn't have to be just the one. It's one that was memorable. I'm not just saying it, but Phantom of the Paradise, this was the time in my life where I discovered it. I was probably somewhere between eight and 10 years old. It was it was on late night on some TV channel. And like I said, we had a legal cable box. So we got we we got so many channels that I just don't even know how I would have seen some of these crazy movies otherwise. And so besides pay-per-view, even just like I was just binging content before it was called that, I guess. So it's where I discovered so much off the beaten path, like public access stuff and whatever. And um, I would stay up late. My sister and I would make this instant coffee to stay up late so we could watch TV. And we realized now it was decaf, but at the time we'd fall asleep and be like, the coffee, we need more coffee, it's not working. But all we wanted to do is watch more movies and stuff. So one night I'm up late by myself in the den watching, flipping through cable channels in the, in the 90s. And this movie comes on that looks like a scary movie, kind of looks like a sci-fi movie, kind of looks like a musical to me. And I was obsessed with Grease and, you know, Bye Bye Birdie and the Hairspray and like all this other stuff. And so I'm watching this movie and I'm going, oh my God, this is the best of every type of movie that I have ever seen. What is this movie? And the first time I see it, I only see part, you know, and it's, but every part I saw was, it was like somebody burned it into my brain and it's still there. And, and so some time goes by, oh my God, it's that movie again. What is it? And I get the TV guide and I look up what movie it is, you know, and it's like Phantom of the P and I'm like, what is the P? What does it stand for? You know, it's like TV guide only let so many characters. So then we had this book that had it was just a guide to movies like those old books that would be like west coast from like video, video un, from like video unlimited yeah like movies unlimited movies yeah. unlimited right my best okay. friend in high school i mean he's still my best friend my best friend when he was in high school he worked there apparently the first movie rental place in the country in northeast philly so um so uh, uh what was i saying so another time i pull out this catalog of movies. It just gives you little reviews of different movies. And I find it and I'm like, whoa, okay. So it's called Phantom of the Paradise. Like I was going to remember that, right? Another time I'm, I'm watching late night, it comes on TV. I finally feel like I've seen the whole movie now in different parts. And then in fast forward, I'm watching it in parts throughout the rest of my life, right? In high school, I'm sleeping over a friend's house on a school night. Never happens. Never was allowed to do that. My friend is going through TV Guide, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's the movie. This is, like, one of my favorite movies, and I don't even know what – I could never remember the name. I never saw it all the way through, but this was, like, a life-changing movie to me, right? Dude, I stay up late on a school night. My two friends that were – we were having a sleepover. They fell asleep, and I watch finally – from front to back, all of Phantom of Paradise. And I became even more, I was already obsessed with it in theory, more so than practice. practice. And I was, it, it changed my, that movie for sure, it changed my life. 
the first time I saw a part of it, it changed my life because it offered so many things. It was made at the right time too, you know, like, and Paul Williams just as a 10 year old and a 12 year old and 15 and 16, 18 and at 30, whatever, like, you know, I have it, this tattoo on my arm. It's like the biggest tattoo I have is, is of, wait, where is it? Jesus Christ. I don't know how to get it on camera. Well, yeah, it's the Phantom and, and, and the Death Records at the bottom. I want to thank Perry for doing this podcast. It was a pleasure and an honor to speak to him. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, please check out our website, vintageanalytsarchive.com. Please check out our there are other episodes. We've this is our twenty eighth episode for this year. Please check out the rest of the episodes. There's some amazing ones. We speak to Paul Williams, um, all, all kinds of really great people. Stephen Tobolowsky and Magnuson, uh, Amos Poe, filmmaker. Uh, also, if you want to support this, this is all voluntary, um, and we have a Patreon, uh, Patreon.com, Vintage Annals Archive. We could really use some help if you. Want to check out our website again? Go to that. There and there is some Patreon-only content there. And again, we have a Facebook and an Instagram, Vigilano's Archive. Uh, please follow all those. We'd really appreciate it. And thank you. Thought in different ways.